Okay, this is uh, what Jerry's voice sounds like. And I'm Jim Abrams. And I'm David Zucker. And I am Sonny Bunch. I'm the culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, and I'm very excited for this episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood because uh, I am talking to David Zucker, Jim Abrahams, and Jerry Zucker, the Zucker Abrahams Zucker team, uh, for uh, about their new book, Surely You Can't Be Serious, The True Story of Airplane, and also about the making of Airplane and all sorts of other stuff. Uh, again, this is a this is a real exciting episode for me as a as a fan as somebody who was born into the world that you guys made. Um, I don't mean to. I hopefully I'm not making you feel old by saying that, but I I, I like I exist. It's too late to make us feel young. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I I again this is this is just a it's a very exciting episode for me um, because I would say that my you know the the world of comedy as I understand it was de- defined by airplane. Uh, you know, Animal House, National Lampoon, that set, Mel Brooks, and it's it's weird to kind of look back at that period of time because it's you have you have this comedy explosion in the 1970s, early 1980s that has really not been rivaled since. I I'm curious to get your guys' take on what uh what it was about what it was about that time that led to this, and also how Airplane kind of compares to the different comic stylings of those uh, other filmmakers. Well, Air- Airplane was different, you know, when it came out because it was the first time a comedy was uh, made without comedians. And th- that also made it kind of difficult to pitch the studios because we had to pitch, we're going to do this without comedians and they're, and we're first time directors and there are three of us. So, uh, but I think it was a big departure because even the, the, uh, the movies that we like, which were you know, the Marx Brothers, Woody Allen, Mel Brooks all used comedians. Uh, and, and so we just completely departed from that. I think there's that- two big things. One, just how serious the actors played it. Uh, and we always used to say, <clears throat> don't play it straight. Pretend that you don't even know you're in a comedy and be completely naive to it, which had never done before, been done before. And then the pacing of the jokes that they came so fast. Uh, and I think those were the two things that were pretty different than others. And kind of hard to duplicate. Um, you know, we had our training, we didn't realize it, but we got our graduate degree in comedy because we had we had started a, a small theater called Kentucky Fried Theater in Madison, Wisconsin, and none of us is very comfortable on stage, um, nor is any of us particularly funny. But we got up on stage and we did jokes and we learned how uh, to edit, how to cut stuff out that wasn't really working and to move on. And I think that's what Jerry was alluding to, too, when you were talking about pace. Yeah, I mean, the pace is uh, the pace is something else. I was saying before before the uh, the show started uh, that I I watched I rewatched it on Blu-ray, you know, by myself, sitting, sitting, sitting alone in, in my own room by myself just you know watching that's it that's the on, best way on, to see it right which is you know nobody around me laughing you know kind of and and i was saying i was it's it's actually it's almost intimidating to watch and just analyze on a joke level because the joke density is so thick i mean it is every it feel there must have been two gags a page i like it it's a it's a it's a crazy thing to watch and just break down moment to moment I think we saw no reason to have anything that wasn't either a setup or a punchline. And then when we got to Paramount, uh, they assigned us a <clears throat> story editor 
who really emphasized that to make jokes, plot points, and plot points jokes. And I don't think we had thought about it before, but I think also a- when you're doing a satire, <clears throat> people aren't as immersed in the nuances of the characters. In other words, in a normal romantic comedy, oh, she's so cute and funny. He's so, um, you know, charming, but he's got these weird problems, whatever. And I think Airplane, everybody was so, kind of so straight and and that you, we just had to keep doing jokes because it wouldn't survive on just, I mean, we certainly did a lot of um, moments uh, to to let people absorb the story and care about the characters, but it's very different than the characters in a romantic comedy. Uh, and you and there's an appreciation in a romantic comedy on a on a very different level. And nonetheless, when the plane is coming in for a landing, people who are watching it even today say, you know, they're worried. Is the plane going to land? Despite the fact there was a a blow up autopilot and and the <laughs> pilot has a problem drinking and all sorts of stuff like that, and they're also really happy to see the boy and the girl get back together. And I think at the time that we made it, I don't think we cared. We just we just wanted to get do the jokes, get the laughs, and then it was later we realized what a gift it was to to have that great uh, Arthur Haley story and characters. Well, can we talk about that a little bit? Because that's a thing I, I totally learned from the book. I didn't I, I was not aware uh, ahead of time that it was actually, you know, uh, a pretty straightforward remake, just erotically, uh, of uh, a, a movie from the uh, 1950s, black and white, you know, kind of B movie from the from the 50s. 1957. And we just happened to discover it, you know, while we were doing our live theater show, we would have videotape segments. And so we would do commercial parodies. And uh, we would leave the tape recorder on all night and in the morning clear it off to get the commercials, but uh, uh, which were running during these, you know, black and white movies. And so one such morning we got really kind of engrossed in this, the movie and it was zero hour. And so our first thought was maybe we could redub this with our voices. And then it was a short leap from that to why don't we just remake the movie? Zero hour was actually a, 1957 black and white melodrama starring Sterling Hayden and Linda uh, Darnell and Daniel Andrews. And it had this story of this guy with PTSD who has to get on a plane to uh, overcome his demons and get the girl back. There's actually one of the iconic lines in Zero Hour is, we need to find someone who not only can fly this plane, but who didn't have fish for dinner. <laughs> and that was a tremendous gift from It also had a, a line at the beginning relative to the love story where the girl says to the boy at the beginning, I, I can't live with a man I don't respect. And that was written by Arthur Healy, although at the time, most people assumed that was written by David based on many of his uh, relationships. <laughs> I, uh, I, I want to come back to the actors because you mentioned, you know, the seriousness of the actors. Again, I, I live in a, a universe in which Leslie Nielsen has always been a great comic force, um, you know, and that obviously is not always uh, the case or, or Robert Stack, you know, not uh, it, he still had, you know, 
unsolved mysteries and everything, but like he's he's a a comic figure to me. But uh, you know, obviously the studio was a little bit nervous about that, right? Well, not really so much about that. You from the first time we went into Paramount and pitched this idea to Michael Eisner, we said we wanted to cast, you know, guys like Robert Stack, Grage, Nielsen, and Bridges. And they were fine with that. I think they were less comfortable with not casting uh, a star comedian like Chevy Chase or Bill Murray at the time in the striker role. That we had to go through a, a lot of machinations. But this studio would have would suggest, you know, those comics for those. But uh, they were the studio was fine with with the you know the what we call the stiffs the you know those straight <laughs> actors. There was a time when they wanted to fill it with comedy cameos, a lot of the smaller parts. And we were very lucky to avoid that. Actually, in a few cases, Howard W. Koch, who is a producer on it, um, the wonderful, wonderful guy. And he would call these agents and say, um, look, at you, uh, we're making the offer, but between us, you don't want your client in this. It's all this stuff. And he was, I mean, Howard was great. Uh, um, he really helped us get through the uh, studio politics. There's a lot about this in the in the book. But if, if without Howard, I think the three of us would have everything that they wanted that we thought was wrong. We would have stormed up into Katzenberg's office and say, well, you can't do this. We're quitting. Forget it. You know, yeah. and, and Howard just said, let's just play it out. You know, then and, well, and uh, that always worked. He was he was always right. So then the actors themselves, though, were a little bit uh, unsure how to play it at first, right? They, you, you talk about this in the book, about how they were, you know, uh, they're serious guys. They're, they're, they thought we need to put some comedy spin on it, and they didn't realize that you wanted them for the seriousness. Right, especially Lloyd Bridges, I think, tried to make sense out of his dialogue and, and wanted to play it funny, and I think we, he needed a little more guidance. But even Leslie... Uh, we, we sent him home after the first table read where I think he put a little spin on it and we sent him home with a, a video of zero hour. And we said, we want you to be, you know, this doctor and not be aware you're in a comedy. In defense of them, in defense of them, they were all experienced actors and they were used to having a character with the background and a story to tell it. If for no other reason than just to make their uh, uh, performance real, but all we wanted them to do is say the lines like they didn't know they were in a comic. They all had actually had very different reactions. Um, uh, you know, Leslie said I would have paid them to do this, and he, after we showed him, you know, told them exactly what we needed. He was. Um, he loved it and he's, you know, he's a comedian and, and finally he's given the chance to do that, which he always wanted. Um, and then, uh, I, I, uh, Stack, um, always just said, I get it. We're the Stooges, <laughs> you know, you, he got, we were making fun of them in a way, but he was, he was up for it. And, and then, um, Peter Graves, I just thought the script was a pile of crap he didn't he didn't but thought it was just disgusting but Howard knew him and brought him in to meet us and I guess he thought we weren't such uh, uh the horrible uh, drug addicts that he that we seem to be maybe from writing this and he and I think his family really liked it so he just said okay and he was in for a penny and for a pound he just never after he signed in it said yes he just never questioned it 
um, and was great to work with. And and Lloyd was the one, and you can see it a bit in his performance, just wanted to be a little bit more, wanted to put a little spin on it. And so we were holding him uh, uh, down a lot. But but uh, uh, after he, um, uh, but he was great. And I think it's a good texture, actually, in the end. And, and he was... Uh, 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 after he saw the film, he loved it, and and then went on to do the Hot Shots movies. And when you think about it, that's you know all we're trying to do is make people realize there you don't have to take everything so seriously. And when those guys signed, you know you can have laughs at your own expense. And when those guys signed on to do Airplane, they part of their what they did was make fun of their own images. You know, Stack and Graves and Lloyd had these very serious images, and they were willing to take pot shots at those. And I think that's one of the, that's sort of an endearing aspect yeah. to And in to a different from. way, Kareem. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny, uh, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's performance in the movie was recently kind of lampooned on, uh, you know, the the HBO show Winning Time, which uh, which struck uh, from what from what I uh, remember hearing at the time and from what I read in your book was totally unfair. The 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 way he was portrayed as reacting to the young child actor. We agreed to be in that scene and and, you know. Unfortunately, we didn't read the script before we we appeared as ourselves, and we were surprised on the set when Kareem, uh, you know, tells the kid "fuck off." You know, it just totally mean to the kid, and and I I after then I we were shocked, and I called up the kid the the guy who played the kid uh, I forgot his name Ross, Ross Harris, Harris, who is now you know forty nine or something, but <laughs> and he said. Uh, uh, to the contrary, Kareem was a gentleman, always treated him, you know, very, he was very respectful and kind. You know, none of that, it was, that, that TV show was complete fiction. And I guess they did the same with Jerry West character. I don't know what Jerry West, but the three of us sent a letter to the editor. We just was so embarrassed by that, the way they, they portrayed Kareem on set, on the airplane set. Did you guys hear from, uh, Kareem afterward we did I think we or we we called his manager or person his agent said he appreciated you mean after the letter we wrote yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, I think his agent uh, at one point uh, his manager said uh, she appreciated he appreciated that we had done yeah um, uh, all right. So one, one, one guy who was not playing it straight the whole time, the, the one character uh, actor in the movie uh, of course is um, Stephen Stucker who uh is is if again if you're if you're watching it it it's it's he's he stands out because he's the guy who is doing like kind of things you would expect more in a, a raucous farcical comedy and i was fascinated to learn about him in in the book just like the the performance uh on the stage with you guys i tell can you can you tell the the listeners a little bit about steven stucker and how you guys came to know him and how he came to be in the movie when we first uh moved to LA we had we were doing our uh, show in Madison, Wisconsin, and there was a piano player who was part of that. And then we moved to L.A. and the piano player chose not to come with us. So we put out feelers around L.A. like 
Is there anybody you know who can play the piano and um, participate in in our show? And one day, while we were building the theater, hammering and nailing, we actually took our piano from Madison to L.A. for the for the theater in L.A. And one day, while we were hammering and nailing, this guy walks in, and it was stuck, and he was wearing these gold and black leather lame pants and some wide open shirt with tons of jewelry and leather thongs up to his knees. And at that point, I had never known an outed gay person. And he was sensational. He was hugely funny. But as fun as he was, he was that great a pianist. I mean, he had been, as a kid, a, a soloist with the Cleveland Symphony Orchestra. So he's a brilliant and a genius musician and who we just happened to stumble across because he came in looking for a job. Uh, anyway, I will say that that um, uh, it took us a while to get used to him because he's so different, you know. And I think what we eventually realized that instead of trying to get him to play things straight, like we sort of tried to do, we realized he's the joke. You know, other people can play it straight. And then let Steve come in for the punchline or the gag. And that's, um, and, and, and that's the way it, it, it worked. But I, I don't think we would have ever written that part had we not known Steven. I mean, there's just, you know, it was, we wrote it for him because we thought he would be really funny at it. As a matter of fact, Steve wrote all his own lines because we, we can't write for him, really. He's just so, he's so crazy and, and, and funny. And, and so we would call him up on the phone and say, okay, uh, here's, the, here's the straight line. What kind of a plane is it? You know, the reporters ask. And he just, and he just thought for a second and that's, oh, it's a big white one with a red stripe, like a big tile and all. You know, I mean, he's just, he could just rattle those things off, you know. So it was, he's, he's unique. And we were, we're very lucky to find him for the theater and also um, have him for the movie. I, I, I'm curious how audiences reacted to him in the movie, certainly in, in particularly in some of the early test screenings, because, I, you know, there was a in, in the book, you talk a little bit about his performances in the theater and sometimes audiences didn't quite gel with what he was doing and he would get angry. He would get angry at them. That was one of my favorite stories in the book, yeah. him, you know, flipping out on the uh, I don't what is what were they dentists or orthodontists yeah, dentists. or something? I think that was just one time actually, or maybe it was one other. But in general, they loved Stephen, which is why he was so aggravated when they when they didn't. Uh, but but um, the movie he always played great. I mean, yeah. movie he loved him in the movie, and in many ways he sort of the the you know the story of the fly down and everything takes place in the third act when he shows up, then in many ways he sort of carries the third act with his humor and his unique take on things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the test screenings because, I, again, one of, one of the things I found really interesting uh, was was hearing you guys talk about molding molding sets, molding shows, uh, molding the movie to laughs, like not not being able to hear the laughs and it messes with the rhythm of of the comedy. 
So uh, when you're when you're sitting there in a you know in an early preview screening, um, and uh, it's either not full or it's uh, there there there's I think there's a story you guys have a story about only one guy in one of the theaters laughing and you time the whole thing to him. How how did that work for you? How was that? How, what was that process like? The the test screening process. Well, that for well actually for all of the comedies we've done, um, I, I'm sure it was has been true for you guys too, but the first screenings are terrible because you don't know what's, what's going to be funny. And so you, you put in the movie has to be end up at like 85 minutes, but you put, you know, 15 more minutes in the movie, but you don't know which is too, what's too funny, what needs to be trimmed. So you have to go through that first screening. And in, in the case of airplane, it was on the Paramount lot for 30 executives because uh, the head of the studio didn't want us to take out the movie off the lot until the executives had seen it. So, uh, and, and the, the audience recruiter was incompetent. And so we, we ended up out on Melrose Boulevard uh, roping people into the screening who were in, online for Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley, the, the TV shows. And, uh, and for, for many of them, I think that English was not their first language, and, and so and for comedy, audience was or yeah, the and so the screen was horrible, and this was the first time the executives had seen it. So it's like, yeah, if, I, I don't know if you know we were already you know we survived the first day without being fired. I bet they all thought well maybe they could still fire yeah. us. Well, uh, but then you know uh, someone like Katzenberg was really important because he came and he kind of said, don't worry about this. This means nothing. We're going to go back and we're going to trim all the fat out of the movie. And that's what we did. And so th then we had, I think two weeks later, we had a screening at University of California, Davis. And that was, that was great. So that was, I think that was the big breakthrough for us that the movie actually worked. We also always recorded the, the audience reaction. In fact, we'd set up a camera to film the screen and, and hear but it would be set back so you can hear the audience. And uh, the the screening, uh, filming the screen was just so we knew where we were in the movie. Um, but uh, we listened carefully to the laughter, not only what got a laugh and what didn't, but what the peak of the laughter is and where it started to die down. And, and that first screening uh, uh, that you mentioned, editing it to one guy, we had recorded that too. So we listened to one laugh. But he had a sense of humor. It actually helped. I mean, it, that was that kind of worked. And, and in the book, you talk about how all of these executives who were, you know, watching the movie, they'd been seeing the dailies, and everybody was excited about the dailies. Uh, it was is you know un, unprecedented. People wanted to actually come to the daily uh, review session. That, that's why the that first screening was so weird because uh, all these people who loved the dailies saw that, whoa, after all that, the movie doesn't work. So, you know, we'll, we'll write this one off. I, th I think either, even within the machinations of a single studio, there are lots and lots of politics. And I'll bet there were people at that screening who weren't exactly rooting for Airplane to be a success. Right. There was, I think the guy we mentioned was Don Simpson, who he never liked it. And, uh, and so... And there we are. We're sitting there. We're just absolutely so buffed after the screening. He, 
he's filing out with the rest of the audience. He he says to us, well, that was uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a uh, death. Thank, that's death thank right you. there. <laughs> Um, I, so, uh, I, I, can I ask a little bit about Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner? Cause it's, I'm, no. I, I, okay. We're talking. Well, I'll move on. No, no, there you, of course. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I, the, I, I find, I find the Katzenberg Eisen, uh, Eisner team very interesting because, uh, for reasons unrelated to this podcast, I've been reading a bunch about 90s Hollywood, Disney, you know, DreamWorks, uh, whatever. And I I feel like every time I turn a page, Katzenberg is there. And so I, I start reading your book and I'm like, oh, my God, Jeffrey Katzenberg again. This is a uh, this is another. Here he is. Here he is again. Could you could you talk about how he helped shape uh, how he helped shape the movie, how he helped you guys through the process? Um, and whether or not the you, you guys think the movie would have worked, would have ended up working without him and Eisner kind of their championing, champion, championing. Well, you we guys. needed all the champions we could get. And and Kat, uh, Jeff Katzenberg um, uh, is one of the most effective um, uh, and confident executives we've ever worked with, I, I think. And he great thing about Jeffrey is he was always honest. You know, if there were bad, there was bad news or something you want, he'd just tell us or, or what his opinion. But on the other hand, he wasn't, um, uh, he didn't have his own, I shouldn't say agenda, but he, he, he wasn't trying to uh, 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 creatively uh, uh, move us in some way or not. He just was uh, there to uh, tell us what, what the, what was going on and, and, uh, what we had to do, and and he was always a supporter. He, you know, and and also I think Eisner depended on Jeffrey to, in effect, wrangle us. And so when we were, because we were kind of, you know, uh, somewhat I would wouldn't say temperamental, but you know, when they there was a time they they How just fragile. What were we fragile? Yes, fragile. Uppity that we, they uppity. We wouldn't they they wouldn't let us direct, and we were getting very nervous. And so we decided to leave the studio and go with some other company who was going to let us direct. And so uh, we we had that, and we talked about this in the book. You know, we had had a call with Jeffrey, and we we explained to him why we were leaving. And thank you, but you know, thank you for everything, but we're leaving. And then it took Katzenberg like two minutes. To explain to us why that was probably not a good idea. I think it was at least eight minutes. Eight minutes, maybe. Makes you a better story by saying. Let's compromise fast. It doesn't sound believable. We'll we'll compromise it. But the other thing that Eisner and Katzenberg did is they assigned a creative executive, his name is Tom Perry, to to help us. And did we mention this earlier? But that's what he was the one who really focused on story and he's the one who kind of led to the flashbacks between Ted and Elaine and their romance and so the studio is extraordinarily helpful in in actually writing the script as well as obviously the production and we had said you know we were afraid oh my god the studio's gonna put their hands on the script and ruin it but it actually made it better so we're very fortunate to end up at Paramount and then a lot of what Katzenberg said in, in the book, we didn't know, uh, like about the 
Barry Diller, the chairman of Paramount at the time, established a culture there of taking risks and not being afraid of failure. And uh, that's important. But, and they were they were willing to do a movie like Airplane. Whereas today, I don't know if there's any studio who would take that kind of risk. Yeah. Here's a, another Jeffrey story is that years later after Airplane and I was uh, directing some movie by myself and it was at Disney and we were putting the final mix on the sound and I had to get to the mix stage at eight o'clock in the morning. And I, when I got there, Jeffrey was just walking out of the mix stage because he wanted to hear the final mix on some other movie that Disney was about to release. And he, he wanted to, to hear it himself. So I think among all of his other attributes, he was a creative guy too. And he what he foresaw creative aspects of these movies. Yeah. I uh all right I, so I want I want to talk about the actual book itself because it's it is a, a it is a it's a really I the thing I was most struck while reading it were all of the quotes from all the people uh you guys talked to did you interview uh folks like Bill Hader and uh Dave Dave Letterman or were were they we, we had a, to, they a, to someone else a or? guy named Will Harris uh did the interviews and actually kind of originated the idea for the book in a way because he had done an oral history for um, the onion, and and it was you know it's not very long, but it was you know he had talked to a bunch of people, and we thought that was kind of cool. Maybe we should do an oral history. Yeah, I mean it's it's a uh, it's amazing. Again, like just the the, the quotes from everybody in here, uh, and I I cannot recommend this enough. If you are a, if you're a fan of the movies, if you have uh, if you have anybody in your life who is a fan of Airplane, uh, you you gotta you gotta get this book for them for Christmas or. I don't know, Thanksgiving. No, don't Thanksgiving wait that present. long. Here's, or, or right, yeah, get it right yeah. now, actually. Go to the yeah. store and buy yeah. it. Buy it now and save it for exactly. Christmas. Go to the, That's, buy the book now, read it, and then give it to someone for Christmas. Yeah. Well, that seems the smartest. Well, or buy it now, read it, and then give somebody a new copy, right? Oh. Like you want, oh, to, there that you way go. you sell two copies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, Jeez, I'm helping you, you guys work, out here. You should work for the marketing. There's, yeah. yeah. So, I, no. Oh, yes. There's going to be there's going to be a link to the to the Amazon page in the newsletter uh, that this goes out with. Uh, so everybody check it out. Um, we I I've we've 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 hit 30 minutes here. Uh, I always like to, to close these interviews by asking if there's anything I should have asked. If there's anything you folks uh, you think folks should know about either airplane or the book or just life in general. Uh, what 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 should folks know that I did not ask? How it how it ended up that the three of us are each incredibly what? handsome. How did you guys get such good looks? Is it diet, <laughs> exercise? Yeah. No. Well, uh, vitamins. I I think just the luck of the genes. You know, I think with all of us, Chip. every gene fell into place. Excellent. Uh, all right. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, again, the name of the book is Surely You Can't Be Serious, The True Story of Airplane uh, by David Zucker, Jim Abrahams, and Jerry Zucker, uh, who have been very kind to put up with me on the show today. Uh, thank you so much, uh, guys, for doing it. I really appreciate it. Thanks for you. Thanks, you, Sonny. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark, and I'll be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. We'll see you guys then. Mm-hmm.